we have for, for most of the summer and uh, here for the, for the last several months, digging, we're digging into the famous Ten Commandments, uh, which were given by God to a group of people that he loved so much, he rescued them from slavery, 400 years of slavery. He rescued them, and he gives these ten laws to these people in order to, number one, show them how much he loves them and how he has chosen them, even before they had ever done anything worth worth his love. He chose them. He loved them. Uh, But also, number two, he gives them these ten words, these ten commandments to teach them how to live as free human beings. And so that's why we're looking at these. Remember, these commandments, as we're looking at these commandments, the, the ten commandments are not how to get to heaven. The ten commandments are how to live on earth as free people who have been rescued by God right? And so that's all of us. And so it's, it's how to live on earth. This morning, we are on all the way on number nine. We're going to be talking about truth and lies today. Truth and lies, right? So I told people before service, you got any lying to do, get it out now, <laughs> right? Because you're not going to want to do it after this, all right? Now, how many of you, I'm going to ask a question, how many of you uh, folks, married folks, uh, remember that moment when you met the in-laws for the first time? A little bit of a scary time, right? Right? And, uh, you know, you want to put your best foot forward. There's some things, you know, you just kind of, you don't want in-laws to know right away. Um, well, th- th- I want you to watch this clip. Uh, this is from a, a, a movie called Meet the Parents. As some of you have seen the ultimate meeting the in-laws movie. So just uh, take, take a check this out. Okay, was up, Greg? Oh. Jack, you scared me. Well, I heard a noise, so I came down to see if everything was okay. Everything's fine. I just, I'm sorry. I, I saw a light on in here and I kind of stumbled in and I didn't realize. Well, that's okay. See anything interesting? No, not at all. I mean, I mean, I mean, this is great, though. I love this, what you, it's a cozy little nook. I noticed you were looking at that when I came in. Yeah. It's an antique polygraph machine. Is that what that is? Because I've seen these before, but I never saw one actually up close. You know what? Why don't you try that on? Oh, that's okay. Oh, come on, we'll have some fun. I'll show you how it works. Yeah, I, 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 I shouldn't. Well, why should you be afraid? You have nothing to hide. <laughs> no, I know. I know you know, so there shouldn't be any problem. No, there's no problem. So, try it on. Okay. I'll help you. Don't worry. You'll enjoy this. All right. Looks complicated. Now, these aren't 100% accurate, right? They're... Well, you'd be surprised how accurate they are. They can tell fairly easily if someone's lying or not. Now I'm going to ask you some questions, and all you have to do is answer yes or no. Okay. All right. Let's give it a whirl. Did you fly on an airplane today? Yes, I did. No peeking. Did we eat pot roast for dinner tonight? Yes. Was it undercooked? 
No, it was rare. It was a little rare for my taste. But I, but I'm I would. Kidding. I'm just. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> relax, relax. The needles are jumping. Have you ever watched pornographic videos? No. Oh. The truth, the truth will find you out. Oh. Thank, thank goodness my father-in-law did not have his own polygraph machine. Um, so we're, we're in Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, verses 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not give false testimony. Some of your translations might say you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now here the scripture uh, puts lying in the context of a courtroom situation. It's kind of an interesting thing. Like, like in a matter of you have this opportunity to say something about someone which is not true. So in other words, we are not only to not lie to each other. We also are not to lie about each other or do harm to each other's reputation. There's this old Jewish proverb I came across about a rabbi who lived in this little town. And this rabbi was well-respected throughout the town. He was a man of good character. He had lived for many, many years of his life serving the people of his community, well-respected. They loved him. He was honest, hardworking, trustworthy. And then one day, a visitor came to town. And this visitor, for some reason, started spreading rumors about the old rabbi started spreading untruths and horrible lies, undermining his character. And what was even worse is that it led to a lot of folks in the community believing the lies. They were believing uh, these negative things that they heard, and people started to turn against the rabbi. And this was very devastating to the man because he had worked so hard for many years to build up trust, to build his reputation in the community. Well, one day, the visitor who had been there for, for a while now, he, and he had set down roots, he was now a part of the community, for some reason, he had a change of heart. And he goes and he visits the old rabbi at his home. He meets with him and he, and he tells him, Sir, I regret what I've done. Uh, the things I said were completely untrue. I want to make it up to you. What can I do to fix what I've broken and, and make this right? And the rabbi told him, I want you to go home. And take your pillow off your bed and go outside on a windy day and tear that pillowcase and scatter all the feathers to the wind. So the man said, okay. He went home. He did it. Then he came back to meet with the rabbi and he said, I, I, I did as you asked. Is there anything more I can do just to, to make this right? And the rabbi said, just one more thing. Take your pillowcase and go collect every single feather. And the man said, but that's impossible. And the rabbi said, exactly. The, the, the damage that we do when we lie, when we gossip, when we talk about other people, the damage that words can do, and we, we've all felt that, that pain if you've ever had it done to you, that damage is so much worse than what can be done with fists or something like that. The damage of words is, is enormous. God really 
hates lying. He says in his word, the scripture says that it calls Satan the father of lies, right? So that's pretty bad. It could have called him the father of a whole lot of bad things, but it calls him the father of lies. In Proverbs uh, verse, or chapter 6, it says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now you might notice, lying is mentioned twice. There's seven things that are detestable, and lying constitutes two of them. So the scripture's pretty pretty clear on this. Now, this probably isn't a whole lot of big news to most people. Most of us didn't come into the door today thinking, I wonder if lying is good or not. I wonder which side Scott's going to take. Um, right? So, this, you know, when you look at it that way, this could be a, um, you know, five-minute sermon. And I'm sure some of you would be like, yes, please, yes, please, yes, please. Um, but rather than just spend the next 30 minutes kind of listing what's a lie, what constitutes a lie, what doesn't count as a lie, we wanted, as we've tried to do with all of these commandments, let's dig down into the heart of things so we can discover, number one, why is this such a big deal? Why, when you've got ten commandments to play with, why make lying one of the things you're going to come down on? And number two, as we've done every time, what about this commandment helps reveal who God is and what he is like? Because that's really what we want to know. That's what I want to know. I want to know who God is and what he is like, because I want a relationship with him, right? And you want a relationship with him. That's what it's all about, relationship. So to get to know God better, we can, we can look at this commandment. A commandment reveals more about who God is and what he is like. So we're going we're gonna to look at two different extremes of history today. And uh, some of you might be a little bit wondering, where are we going with all this? Um, just stay with me, I promise it's all going to wrap up really nicely with a cool bow. Um, but we're going to start in the beginning, and I mean the beginning, Genesis 1, okay? Genesis 1 reveals one way of understanding why telling the truth is so important to living the full life that God created for us. In verse 14, God said, Let there be lights in the vaults of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. And he also made the stars, billions of them as it turns out. Now we know, right? Verse 17 God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. Now, a couple of interesting things here we're going we're gonna to point out. Number one, we've talked before about the structure of Genesis 1 is a fascinating thing. It's, in the Hebrew, it's actually laid out kind of like a poem um, rather than just kind of a boring old encyclopedia article. Um, it has a rhythm to it, right? God said this, and it was, it was so, and it was good. And day two, God said this, it was so, and it was good. And day three, wah, 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 right? So it's kind of got this, I just revealed myself as a child of the 80s. I know right there. Right? I, don't think, I don't think they still want a wah. Um, but anyway, it's a... It, it, it's like it's almost like God said, "This is this this event is too beautiful and too wondrous 
not to be sung, right? This with this epic creation poem. So, uh, so that's an interesting thing. Number two, starting at verse 14, it says, in the fourth day, God decided to make a greater light the sun, a lesser light the moon. He decided to give the stars uh, to give light to the earth. And of course, we've also got the planets up there, right? We've got all the planets all the way from Mercury closest to the sun, all the way out to Pluto. It'll always be a planet to me, Pluto. Um, what's interesting to me is that we measure day and night by the rising and the setting of the what? There he is, the sun. So when the sun rises, we call it a new day, and it sets to the end of the day. We, every 24 hours, it repeats. So this daily cycle is measured by the sun. Then we have this 30-day cycle that's measured by the what? Moon, right? Called the lunar cycle, right? Every 30 days, the moon goes through its, one of its phases. And then every 365 days, we measure time by the revolution of the earth, around the sun. And so we got the sun, the moon, the the planets, the earth. It's how we measure a day. And yet the text here says that God made stuff on the first day. Then God made more stuff on day two. He made more stuff on day three. And he made sun, moon, stars, and all this kind of stuff on day four. So how do we know those first three days are days when they're is no sun, moon, stars, planets yet. Well, that's part of a whole nother sermon. (laughs) We're not going to get into that debate today. But safe to say, you think maybe there's some interesting things going on there. Yes, it's safe to say that. Now, verse 14, look at this. Uh... Verse 14 says, God made all these objects out in space. The purpose of making these objects was to bring light to the earth. The biggie of all these things, of course, is the sun. In fact, the sun's really the one making the light off the moon. You know, if if you see Saturn in the sky like it was out this week, just below the moon, you can see Saturn. Uh, it's actually reflected light of the sun. So the the sun's the the big deal. Um, The sun gives light, helps us keep track of days, years. But this isn't even the really interesting conundrum because notice what happens way before 14, way back in verse 3. What's one of the first things that God creates? In verse 3, God said, let there be light. And he separated the light from the darkness. So in Genesis, we have the creation of this solar system, the planets, the stars, they're providing light, including our star, the sun. And it seems to be spoken of as something separate than the creation of light itself, Hmm. which which brings up all sorts of interesting questions. Because if God has created all of the sun and the stars and the moon on the fourth day, then what is this light that is talked about? In verse 3, 11 verses earlier, the scriptures seem to speak of two kinds of light. Two kinds of light. So there's this one kind of physical sort of light that we we typically think of. It's the light that comes out of my headlight so I can drive through the fog, right? It's the, the light that comes out of my lamp I can turn on in my living room so I don't, you know, at night and bang my shins on the coffee table. You know, that, that light's very helpful. It's, it's the light you can see. 
But Genesis 1 verses 3 alludes to some other kind of light. And this light apparently is inherent to the very nature of God's universe. It's, it's the, fir- he, the first thing he does, it says he creates heavens and earth. And the first thing he does, adds to this blank canvas, is light. Notice how some other scriptures speak of this light. The Psalms say, let the light of your face shine on us. Now, obviously, the writer in Psalms isn't saying that God's face is like a giant flashlight. Uh, you know, there's something figurative going on here, but, but apparently it's intrinsic to who God is. Uh, Psalm 27 says, the Lord is my light. Another Psalm says, so that I may be walking before God in the light of life. So what is this light? There's apparently some kind of spiritual dimension where I can See, there's this light of a spiritual dimension where I can see what I am to do, see how I am to act in the world. There's the natural kind of light that gives light, but there's also a spiritual sort of light that can be discerned, enjoyed, something that comes from the very nature of God himself. In Psalm 89, he says, Blessed are those who have learned to walk in the light of your presence. So this light, it's something we can align ourselves with, right? We can walk in, and somehow we're blessed by it by walking in this light. Psalm 104, he says, he wraps himself in light. We sing that, right? As with a garment. So there's, there's this light that's somehow inherent to who God is. In the, in the New Testament, the, the Gospels speak of it. In John 1, it says, in him, he's talking about Jesus, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind the light of all mankind. So to walk with God, to walk with God means somehow to walk in this dimension where I can see because the light of God shows me the sort of life to live. It's a a different kind of light. It's a light that can even shine in the darkness. This light shines in the darkness. It, it, It helps me see what God has for me, helps me to partner with him with his plans in the world. What is this light that the writers are talking about here? A couple observations this morning about light. Uh, light inherently reveals, right? That's not very brilliant. Light, in, light reveals things. And what a lie does is conceal. Light reveals and a lie conceals. So like if today, if, if you were all sitting in the dark, if it was nighttime right now, we had the lights off right now, you were all sitting in the dark, I wouldn't know what you were doing out there, would I? You'd be sitting there, you could be looking at me, you could be sleeping, which happens a lot. You could be making funny faces, which also happens more than you would think. Um, people just, all kinds of stuff I, I see up here. Uh, you could get up and sneak off, I wouldn't see it, right? Darkness fundamentally conceals, Right? But you turn on these big lights, and voila, I can see you. I can see exactly what you're doing. Telling the truth sheds light on how things really are, aren't they? Doesn't it? Telling the truth. Now, God is our creator. He is the creator, and he is about ultimate reality. See, God is ultimate reality. He is light. This light shines, and it reveals how things really are. But when I buy into a lie... What happens is that lie creates an alternate reality where things aren't 
as they really are. Things aren't as they truly seem, right? And Scripture keeps speaking of the fact that we have this tendency, this bent towards darkness. We live in sin. We like darkness, right? We like to be hidden. This is why 17-year-old children love to sit in the back of a movie theater, right? We like the darkness. That uh, was going to be a lot funnier in my head when I said that. Um, (laughs) When we're drawn to darkness, right? Because in the darkness, you can do whatever you want. In the dark, you can create an alternate reality with its own logic, its own rationalizations. We can do a lot of things in the dark. In the dark, we are not really accountable to anyone, are we? So if I'm in the dark and everybody else is in the dark, I can pretty much get away with anything because no one sees what I'm doing. But what light does is it reveals. In John chapter 3, he says this in verse 19, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. That's why we like the dark, because deeds are evil. We love darkness because in the dark, you can make up your own rules. You can do whatever you want. But the thing is, as you come to Christ and you're drawn closer and closer to the light, you understand that you live in context of this greater being, this, this wonderful being of, of light and truth. Skip down to, to uh, verse 21 where he says, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And notice this what in James, which I find very, very convicting. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So what's he saying here? He's saying that as people of the light, as people who walk in truth, we should actually, you know, share with each other when we've screwed up. And that's not easy. But if you're in the dark, see, when you're in the dark, it it feels safe. It feels safe and private, like this is the safe place. But the dark, the thing is, it's actually killing you because you're living contrary to God's reality, right? It's killing you. And if you're here today and you don't have a sense yet of of being really forgiven by God's grace, if you haven't asked him to forgive you and you don't have that realization that he has forgiven you, light can be terrifying, Am I right? Light can be terrifying. It, we talked a few weeks ago um, on a different commandment, how if you, if you have things in you that you have locked away that you can't talk about, things that are off limits, things that nobody's allowed to bring up, that, that means there's darkness in your life, right? There's untruth in your life. So confessing and talking openly about my journey, it, it feels terrifying, but it's actually the path to peace. It's actually the path to peace. God's intent is that I would live in the light. It's what community is all about, right? That I would live in light. Uh, That I would live in freedom. God intends that we would be honest about our stuff and and talk about our, our pain, talk about our mistakes. Because we would know, we'd know that we've been accepted by God and that we're accepted by our brothers and sisters, and that we are forgiven. We've been forgiven at the cross. 
You've been forgiven at the cross. That's, that's God's intent, that you and I would walk in the light because we would know that all your stuff, all my stuff, was taken to the cross and, and buried in a grave by my Savior, right? It was taken long ago. So confessing one to another, it's not the thing that forgives you. It's a sign that you're already free, that, that, that God has freed you. He has forgiven you. He's the one that we repent to. But confession, as they say, is good for the soul, right? Amen. And that's called living in community. Community is a wonderful thing for a lot of people. We love living in community. But you know what? Community is terrifying if you're trying to hide stuff. Right? And many of you know, many of you have taken that real step of faith and you've joined a home life group, right? And you're sitting in somebody's living room and you have that thing nagging at you going, say it, say it, say it. And you're like, no, no, no. Right? What will people think? What will people think? And we hear so many testimonies of people who are like, I said it and I was loved. Nobody threw me out of the house. Everybody just prayed for me and loved me and hugged me. We cried together. You know, I mean, this, this is what happens when you have... Christians in community who are acting like Jesus, right? That's community. When you walk in the light, um, nothing's hidden in the dark. That kind of truth is freeing. It's freeing to you, which brings us to another idea that life, or sorry, light leads to freedom. Light leads to freedom. Lies lead to bondage and slavery. Lies always lead to slavery. And, And so remember, God is teaching his people how to live as free people, He's talking to people who have been slaves for 400 years. Here's how you live as free people. One of the huge parts of that is being a person of truth. Free people are people of truth, right? How many of you ever told a lie, and then later you're asked about what you said, and so you're like telling another lie, and then you're trying to remember exactly the details of that lie, and you, that you told this person, and you forget a few details, and then this other person, there's two versions of this life floating around, and then a third person comes along and asks you, uh, to, and so you start telling the third version of the lie, and it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting. It's terrifying. Has anybody ever had this beside me? Right. Now, why are lies exhausting? They're exhausting because God's work in Genesis, fundamental, fundamental work was creating light, and light fundamentally reveals how things are. It's, it's how things really are. So when I'm lying, this is important, when I'm lying, it's like I am trying to generate this twisted form of creative energy to create darkness, to create an alternate reality. And I am not God. That's exhausting. That is why it's exhausting. Because once you lie, you end up having to tell another lie, and, and, and it takes a huge amount of creative energy to act like God and create a reality, right, and maintain this alternate reality apart from the true reality God created. Lying and keeping it going, it robs your soul of life, and the whole time we're thinking, this is, this is keeping me from trouble. I'm lying to stay out of trouble, but you're not. It's robbing your soul because it's this contradiction to everything God is and everything his universe is, Right? Fundamentally, his universe is all about truth and light. That's why, how how many of you have ever had this experience? You told a lie. You had it going out there, and it's all out there, and then finally you just said, okay, guys, I did it. I lied. 
and you told the truth, and there was this profound sense of, ah. Anybody ever had that moment? Not that everybody in the room was real happy right then, right? But, you know, I'm going to tell the truth. And, yeah, you may be about to get fired. You may be about to get slapped by your girlfriend. Uh, You know, you may get hung up on by one of your good friends in that moment. And yet, somehow, you feel strangely euphoric. Like, this this was right. Anyone have this moment? Why do we have this moment? Because... When we decide to step out of that lie, we know it's going to be messy. We know we're going to have to make amends with a lot of people. We're going to have to go and repent and ask forgiveness, and we're going to have to make amends, and it's going to be a messy thing. We're going to have to suck it up and take our lumps, right? The consequences are going to be rough, and yet something within us feels free. Free. It's freedom. Why? Because truth is death to darkness. It kills the darkness, right? It has this finality to it when you tell the truth. When you go there, I did it. Okay. We started with the beginning of the world. Let's look at the other end. Revelation 22. All of this has some really cool implications for Judgment Day. I know you're thinking, what in the world is he going with this? Here's how the Bible talks about the end of the world. In chapter 22, it says, There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. It's interesting to me because I see the writer here making all sorts of allusions to to Genesis 1, and that's not by accident. He knows what he's doing. At the end of time, there will be no more need for the sun because God will be light. What do we have in the beginning of Genesis? No sun, yet there is light. So we began this whole creation party with light, and in the end, we've come full circle. Keep up with me here. Question. What do we often use to measure time? A watch, right? Some of us. And that watch of yours, it's like on this sort of 24-hour cycle. It's synced up probably with some atomic clock somewhere that's synced with the sun and the earth, and which is hurtling through space around the sun. Anyway, all that's going on. And the moon, it's up there doing something. So we measure time, and we have this sense that, okay, yesterday happened. Today is now. Tomorrow will happen. But we live in the present moment. We live right now. We can tell exactly what the present moment is. I can tell you, it's 11, 24, and 21, 2, 3 seconds right? Present moment is right here. It's happening and it's moving. It's what we call this linear awareness of time. Now, I can't go back to yesterday, can I? I can't go back to yesterday Um, because I'm in today's moment. We're all clicking along at the same pace. All all I can see about you is this moment. I can't see you yesterday right now. I can't see what you did. I can't see you tomorrow because we're in this time stream together. We can only see the now. Everybody with me? But when scriptures speak of the end of the world, this is really cool. When scriptures speak of the end of the world, it speaks of a realm where there is no sun. Okay? And to those first century writers, if there is no sun, there is no way to measure days and weeks and months and years. And and if there's no way to measure days and weeks and months and years, then I don't need to wear a what? A watch. I'm never going to be late again. Yay! Right? 
Now, this has huge implications because right now, I can only see what you're doing right now, which for some of you is nodding off. <laughs> but imagine being in the presence of God, the presence of God himself without any time limitations. See, the scriptures speak over and over of a time when there is no time, right? Right. And, and what that means is there's not just one present moment visible, but what if your whole lives and each of those moments of your lives are visible? What if as you stand before God one day, the sum of your entire life was brought together so that someone could view your whole life from start to finish? Everything you've done Every person you've done something with, every place you've been, everything you've ever put in your body, everything you've ever done to another human being in the dark or in the light, imagine if your whole life was brought into a realm where you could see it all at once, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Then imagine if this entire life of yours was in the presence of a holy God, a divine God who is light. And his light shined brilliantly. And it revealed every secret thing you've ever done. All contrasted, your life contrasting with this magnificent, perfect, all-beautiful creature who's created everything. You see, um, this is why someone like me needs a savior. Because of that moment, I need a savior. You follow? That's at that moment when I'm going to be really thinking, I need a good lawyer. Because <laughs> it's all going to be out there. Anyone else feel this way? That's the moment when I am going to need this perfect, beautiful God of light to extend me some unbelievable mercy. This is my understanding of grace. We think of judgment, and we think of like this angry God who's up there, and he's going to be ready to crispy fry every single one of us, right? Just his fingers on the button. But judgment isn't about a God who's just grumpy. It's about a God whose nature is pure. It's light. It's truth. It's unrelenting light shining into every single corner. The more we learn about God and what he is like, the more it becomes so much clearer. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. When we stand in awe of that holy God of light and truth and ultimate reality, all of our little petty attempts down here of living any other kind of reality are going to look really ugly. The closer we walk with God, the more we're drawn to his light, we want to live in that light. And the more we're forced to ask ourselves, is there any darkness left in my light, my life? Is there any place in my life where I have bought into a lie or I'm living a lie? Is there any place where I'm, I'm living a false reality? Because it will be revealed at some point, but I'd like to start living in the peace and the freedom of that now. Why not start living in the peace and freedom of it now, right? Why does God choose number nine to say to his people, don't lie, because God loves you, and he wants you free. 
He wants you free. Hallelujah. He wants you to live free. He wants you to live in truth. He wants you to be a part of this universe of his that reflects his life and truth. His light. Hallelujah. So, how do we start living in this ultimate reality and stop living in an alternate reality? I'm going to give you two steps here. Here's my little pastoral moment for the day. Number one, love truth. Love truth. Learn to love it. Fall in love with integrity. Right? See, I, I wasn't always a lover of truth. I, 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 one time I, I thought, no, nah, it's better to, to just lie and make people just think what they want to think. You know? But you become a lover of integrity and something happens. Right? You're, you start to crave that your word means something. You actually want people to think of you as a person of integrity. And that takes time to build if you haven't been a person of integrity. Psalm 119.30 says, I have chosen the way of truth. It's a way you can choose. I choose this way of truth. When you learn to love truth, you're learning to love one of the core attributes of God. And, and he'll help you with it. He will. It's his nature. His nature is truth. And so he'll, he'll work with you. Okay? The second thing to do is let go. Here's what we mean. Telling the truth means trusting God with your life. Think of all the ways that we don't tell the truth. And what does it come down to very often? Control. Right? See, I'd rather have God's grace at work in my life than live a life of lying in order to avoid discomfort and avoid the unknown. A lot of lying is about control. It's about control. Controlling the situation. Controlling reality by reinventing it. So I can control reality. You know, that's what social media is built on. It's controlling our image. Right? Very few of us get on social media and tell all the horrible and good things we did every day. Usually it's the best two things we did, right? Because we're controlling. We control, we control our image. But to walk in truth means, means letting go of control. It means trusting God to handle things. I'm going to let go of control. I'm going to trust God to handle things. We often lie because we're afraid of what others will think about us. We want to control that relationship. We want to control, I want to control what you think about me. That's just natural. It doesn't make you evil. It just makes you human. We want to control others' opinion of us. And here's the brutal truth. The brutal truth. Stepping out of a lie that you have been living, it is terrifying. It is. It can be terrifying. What will happen to me? What are people going to think? What if I lose someone close to me by telling the truth? But here's the thing. The peace and joy that comes from living in ultimate reality, it outshines any darkness. There's peace and joy and freedom in alternate, ultimate reality. It outshines the darkness. And, and most people who, who love you will eventually, they may not like it at first, but they're eventually going to rejoice with you, right, in that with you. Another way that we live in a lie is that we refuse to accept something we know deep down isn't true. And it comes back to control. We're afraid of losing control. We're afraid of what might happen if we confront that truth. We sort of know it, and so we're living in like two realities. We're afraid of what other strands of this alternate reality might unravel if I pull at this thread. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then that's fine. It, this doesn't apply to you. But if you do, if this rings a bell, then let me, 
you just need to hear this, and that is that the truth has nothing to fear. The truth has nothing to fear from scrutiny, right? Because truth is God. God all truth is God's truth. It's God's truth. So you don't need to fear. Amen? Amen. Well, in conclusion, love truth and let go. Love truth and let go. So maybe this morning you're here and you would acknowledge that you have bought into some kind of lie. Acknowledge that you've, you've bought into some kind of lie or maybe you've just perpetuated some kind of alternate reality and you are ready to give up today. If that is you, God wants to set you free. He wants to set you free and he loves you. He's not trying to ruin your life. He's trying to set you free. And he will guide you in wisdom through your next steps. But it usually starts, it always starts, with repenting and telling God, I'm ready to live in freedom. I'm ready to stop living this lie. So I'll need your, your help, Lord, from this point on. But when you're ready to do that, when you're ready to step out of darkness and into his light, when there's no more pretending, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Amen. Let me pray for you today. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you, Father God, for your beauty. We thank you, God. We can trust you. We can trust you will never tell us anything but the truth. We love you so much. We thank you, God, for what you've done for us. We thank you, God, for a Savior so that on that day when we stand before you, you'll see Jesus. You'll see the price he paid for us. We won't be held accountable for our sins if we've accepted Jesus. We thank you, Father God, for that, for that grace and that mercy, Lord God. I pray if there's people here today that they've never experienced that grace and mercy, they've never accepted Jesus as their Savior, that they would make that step today, Father God, that they would come forward. I thank you, Father, that you, you can help us. Your Holy Spirit flows through us, Father God, and it can help us walk in truth. Put a guard over our mouth, Lord God. And in those instances, maybe we're not even thinking we're gonna come out with something that's not true, that's, that's an alternate reality, it's part of the darkness. Father God, help us to realize it before we say it and give us the courage to speak the truth. The courage to speak truth. Your word says that we are to be people of truth and grace. Help us to know what that feels like, to know how to walk in truth and grace just as Jesus did. Thank you, Lord God, for your goodness. I thank you for every person in this room today, Lord, for all the things that are going on in their life, Lord, the struggles that they're believing, you to help them with, Father God. Some of them are believing for healing, miracles of healing. Some of them are believing for jobs, Father. They're believing for a financial miracle. Some of them are just believing, Father God, for restoration of a relationship. I thank you, Father God, that you can, you can restore, you can heal if we follow you, Lord God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys so much. I hope you have a wonderful week. And uh, uh, there's a adult Bible study going on on Wednesday night. We have our home life groups going on all week long. Hopefully you're enjoying that. We've had our first week of home life already. It's been incredible. And other than that, you guys have a wonderful, wonderful day. Be blessed, and we'll see you later.